I'd like you to turn with me this morning to Leviticus, the 16th chapter. We're going to read about a particular type of Christ that we sang about um, in several hymns this morning, specifically Christ as the High Priest. We sang one of my favorite hymns, Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea. A great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and bleeds for me. And in Leviticus, the 16th chapter, we receive some specifics that were delivered to the children of Israel that tell us some things about the Lord Jesus Christ in a very beautiful way. Begging interest in your prayers this morning. Before we begin reading that chapter, I would mention that uh, there is to be an ordination on February the 20th at Pleasant Hill Primitive Baptist Church. Uh, My dad, Elder Neil Honey, uh, endeavors to pastor there. He's been doing so for the last several years, and we would appreciate your presence there. It would be a great encouragement, not only to Brother Jackie, who's the brother to be ordained, but also to myself and my family. So uh, if you do have the opportunity to come up to Mantachi, Mississippi, we would love to see you all there on February the 20th. To get back to the Scripture, in Leviticus, the 16th chapter, we read in the first several verses of the high priest who was to perform the rites of atonement for the children of Israel. Read with me in verse 1. And the Lord spake unto Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron, when they offered before the Lord and died. And set in, the last, in Leviticus chapter 10, we read of the two sons of Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, who offered strange fire before the Lord. They did something they were not supposed to do in the rites of atonement, and the Lord the Lord took their lives for their crime. They did not listen. They did not pay heed to the commands of the Lord. And the Lord took their life. And so the Lord, as the gracious and merciful God that He is, He speaks to Mo- Moses and tells him, Hey, here is what I would like you to do, lest this circumstance occur again. And He says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Speak unto Aaron thy brother, or speak unto the priest, that he come not at all times into the holy place within the veil before the mercy seat, which is upon the ark, that he die not. For I will appear in the cloud upon the mercy seat. Thus shall Aaron come into the holy place with a young bullock for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He shall put on the holy linen coat, and he shall have the linen breeches upon his flesh, and he shall be girded with a linen girdle and with the linen mitre, and shall he be attired. These are holy garments. Therefore shall he wash his flesh in water and so put them on. Now these specifics, to me, oftentimes seem exhausting because my attention span is about a quarter inch long when it comes to some things. I'll admit that to you all this morning. But when we read of these things, we have to realize that all of these things tell us something about Jesus Christ. And as we read them, they are as relevant to us as the sacrifice of Jesus Christ upon the cross, His death upon the cross, that is relevant to us this morning. I hope we think about those things on a daily basis. I endeavor to preach to them to you. Brother Tim does the same. We should think about those things and meditate upon those things. They are a joy to us. And these specifics tell us of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Lord commands to Moses, He says, Tell Aaron that he is not to come behind the veil to the holiest of holies, basically at all times or whenever he wants, because my glory is to be behind that veil. And for you to honor my glory and my beauty and my majesty as an all-powerful God, I would ask you to come in only once a year. Now this is a type of when the Lord Jesus Christ would offer up one sacrifice one time 
for the atonement of the sins of his people. And so the priest is to enter into the holiest of all one time, and he's to do so in a specific way. He's to take off the garments that he would ordinarily wear, and he's to put on the simple linen clothing that the Lord tells him of. Now, the clothing of a priest was, I'm sure, something to behold. We read all about it in Exodus, the 28th chapter. He was to wear all sorts of jewels and different types of fabric. He was to have a huge hat, if you will, upon his head. He was to wear stones that represent the tribes of Israel. And he was to wear all these marvelous things that were to tell and speak of the beauty and glory of the office that he was to fulfill. I submit to you this morning that we have a high priest sitting upon the, th- upon the right hand of the throne of God this morning who is clothed in all beauty and majesty. He is clothed in His glory and power. And someday He will come back to the earth. But when He entered upon this earth and He walked as a man in Nazareth and in Israel and He offered Himself as a sacrifice before God upon the cross, He was clothed in the simple linen clothing of atonement. He did not come in His glory and majesty. He did not come with a rod of iron ready to destroy the wicked and deliver the righteous. He came clothed as a man. We're told that He took upon Himself the form of a servant. He was made in the likeness of men and being found in fashion as a man, He humbled Himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. He didn't come clothed in the glory that we will see Him in one day. He did not come clothed as He will return to this earth at the end of the world. He came clothed as one of us. And the priest did this. The priest symbolized this unknowingly as He took off His beautiful garments and He clothed Himself in simple linen. And in this way, clothed in this way, He was to perform some various duties that the Lord told Him to do in verse 5. And he shall take of the congregation of the children of Israel two kids of the goats for a sin offering, and one ram for a burnt offering. And Aaron shall offer his bullock of the sin offering, which is for himself, and make an atonement for himself and for his house. So Aaron, he is clothed in these linen garments, and he is to take a bullock, and he is to offer that bullock upon the altar for his sins and the sins of his house. Now when the Lord Jesus Christ came down upon this earth, he was a faithful high priest. He performed all the duties the Lord would have had him to do, but he didn't have to offer a sacrifice for him or his house because he had not sinned. But Aaron was a mortal man. He came before the Lord as a sinner who had sinful thoughts on a daily basis. And for that reason, he made a sacrifice to the Lord in blood to atone for the sins of himself and his house. Because he was about to go in in the very presence of the Lord as the glory of God hidden in a cloud settled upon the mercy seat, which was on top of the ark. And he shall take the two goats, verse 7. These are the two goats that he took from the congregation and present them before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And Aaron shall cast lots upon the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other lot for the scapegoat. And what you'll see, what is about to happen is Aaron casts lots to determine which goat is the scapegoat and which goat is to be offered for a sin offering before the Lord. And he was to take this goat and he was to slaughter it and he was to sprinkle its blood upon the mercy seat inside the veil. The the symbolic nature of the mercy seat, the word that is used for the mercy seat is the same word which is used throughout the New Testament 
It's the same word as propitiations. When we read the word mercy seat, we can think propitiation. Because our propitiation is Jesus Christ, but were it not for mercy, were it not for the mercy seat, were it not for the mercy of God, we certainly would not be able to enjoy that propitiation. And Aaron, verse 9, shall bring the goat upon which the Lord's lot fell and offer him for a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot fell to be the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to make an atonement with him and let him go for a scapegoat into the wilderness. That word scapegoat, that's not something we would say a lot, but it literally can mean the goat that got away. The goat who was taken away. The goat who was led away. And so this goat was to be taken by a fit man, by an able man, In other words, in somebody that was in good physical shape to a land where no man was, and he was to be left there, and the fit man will return to the camp and wash himself and present himself before the people. Now remember, all these things point to the Lord Jesus Christ. And this man had to be fit, because I heard an old preacher tell this story one time that raised goats. He said, you know, there's there's two things that a goat doesn't like. Number one, he doesn't like it when he doesn't have anything to eat. Number two, he does not like unfamiliar surroundings. Sounds kind of like me. I don't like to be in a new situation and I like to have something to eat. But if the goat was led into a land where no man was, that man had to be able to outrun the goat back to the camp. He had to be able, he had to be fit, he had to be strong so he could leave that scapegoat upon which the sins were passed in an uninhabited land where they were to be remembered no more. Christ is not only that scapegoat, his sins were not only passed, our sins were not only passed upon him, but he is also the fit man that is to take that goat out into the land and leave it so it can be forgotten. He's the priest, he's the sacrifice, he's the scapegoat, he's the fit man. We're going to read about in the last several verses that we read this morning about how this applies to us. But why is it? that Christ is represented as a goat. We're told in 1 Peter, the first chapter, John, the first chapter, that he is the Lamb of God without blemish and without spot. John, when John was baptizing in the River Jordan, and he looks up and he sees Jesus walking towards him, he says, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. He's the lamb, but he's also a goat because on the day that Jesus Christ bore the sins of his people, he became the very thing that he despised. He became sin itself. He became a goat. We're told in John chapter three that he was to be lifted up as a serpent. Why is he called a serpent? He is the lamb of God. He's perfect. He's undefiled. He's sinless and blameless. But on the day that he hung on the cross, he became sin itself. And for that reason, he is a goat in the sense of atonement, but he is still the lamb. Now, how, how is this applicable to us this morning? I know we've moved quickly, but we read these things. We read of the priest who was to take off his shining vestures of beauty and glory and to go into the holiest of holies, holiest of holies to make atonement clothed in his linen garments. We read of the goat whose blood was to be sprinkled upon the mercy seat to atone for the sins of the people of Israel, symbolically to atone for the sins of God's people. We read of the scapegoat who was led by a fit man into a land uninhabited. And he was left there so that the people of Israel's sins might be separated from them as far as the east is from the west. And we read of the fit man who came back into camp to present himself before the people, able-bodied, fully capable, 
fully qualified to perform the job that he was appointed to do. And now we read of a not-so-wonderful responsibility in verse 24 of Leviticus chapter 16. And let's start in verse twenty. Let's start in verse twenty-six. And he that let go let go the goat for the scapegoat shall wash his clothes and bathe his flesh in water and afterwards come into the camp. And the bullock for the sin offering, and the goat for the sin offering, whose blood was bought in to make atonement in the holy place, shall one carry forth without the camp. And they shall burn in the fire their skins and their flesh, and their dung, and he that burneth them shall wash his clothes, and bathe his flesh in water, and afterwards he shall come into the camp. This, is not, this passage, this chapter, is not irrelevant to all of us this morning. The things that we have read of thus far may speak of the Lord Jesus Christ. They may tell us of the Lord Jesus Christ, how he came down to this earth, he took upon himself the form of a man, and he, was, he offered himself for atonement. But I I submit to you this morning that this is our task. We have a task to carry out in this chapter. We'll come back to Leviticus chapter 16, but turn with me to Hebrews the 13th chapter. We'll read how this is connected to us. Hebrews the 13th chapter, Paul tells the recipients recipients of his letter in verse 10, We have an altar whereof they have no right to each which serve the tabernacle. He's saying, You... The people to whom I'm writing, or us, since this book, I believe, is written to all those who, all the children of God that would read it. We have an altar that the people who served the rites of the tabernacle, the dues of the tabernacle, had no right to eat out of. He's speaking of what he told the people in Hebrews chapter 10 when he says, You may now enter into the holiest of holies. You may enter into communion with God on a daily basis because of what Christ has done. Not on your own merit, but because of the merit of Jesus Christ. Because of His effectual sacrifice, we have now the right to endeavor to enter into the presence of God on a daily and in a special way on a weekly basis. And Paul is telling the Hebrew, the recipients of the Hebrew letter, we have this altar. They had no right to eat of this altar. For the bodies, verse 11, of those beasts whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned without the camp. Remember, we just read of this. The refuse from those sacrifices were to be carried without the camp, and they were to be burned. Verse 12, Wherefore Jesus also, that He might sanctify the people with His own blood, suffered without the camp. Let us go forth therefore unto Him without the camp, bearing His reproach. For here have we no continuing city, but we seek one to come. Now, once those rites were performed, there was another duty to be done. The pieces from those animals, the sacrifice that was to be offered, is somewhat gruesome, but I cause you to think of the gruesome nature of the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. The rites that were performed in the Old Testament would be no less gruesome than an offering which was to be made upon the cross. And as we read these things, the last thing that the people of Israel told to do is take the leftover pieces from these sacrifices, sacrifices, the trash from these sacrifices, if you will, and take them out without the camp and burn them. This speaks of the way Christ was dishonored. Symbolically, His body was burned. He was 
tried without the camp. He was hung on a cross without the camp. And his body was to be burned without the camp. And we are told to take that reproach, that same reproach, that same shame, which was often cast in the teeth of the Lord Jesus Christ, and bear it without the camp. That is our task. Because the, the stench of these sacrifices, the stench of the remnants of these sacrifices, is often the same way that Christianity smells in the eyes of the world. Because when the world smells the task that we are to perform, oftentimes it is strange to them. It is an unpleasant odor, but we are told to take that, take the leftovers from those offerings, take the reproach, take the stench, and we are to bear it faithfully as Christ did. There is an account of two men who literally bore the reproach of Christ in John the 19th chapter. Christ has passed, has died on the cross. His lifeless body is hanging there. Joseph of Arimathea comes secretly to Pilate and he says, Pilate, I would ask you that we would take the body of Christ and bury it. And, and he is granted permission by the Roman government. And we're also told that Nicodemus the same man who came to Jesus by night in fear in John chapter 3 accompanied Joseph of Arimathea. And Nicodemus has reached a point in his journey of discipleship where he has gone from visiting Jesus by night because he is afraid of what the people might say of him to taking down the very dead body of the Lord Jesus Christ and burying it in a new tomb. He's bearing the reproach of Christ. Are you with me this morning? Yes. A sacrifice was made. But there is still a duty for us to fulfill. And that is to take the reproach that often comes with the respect and the realization of that sacrifice and to bear it faithfully as Christ did. Amen. In Hebrews, the 12th chapter, in the first and second verses, we're told that there was shame in the cross. But Christ despised that shame and sat down on the right hand of the throne of God. That is where our high priest is seated this morning. No, he's no longer clothed in his linen clothing. He's no longer clothed in the everyday clothing that maybe an Israelite would have worn at that time. No, he is clothed in his garments of beauty and glory, which reveal him as the all-powerful Son of God who came down to this earth one time, entered into the holy place one time, and effectually atoned for the sins of his people. Amen. Now, before we close, let's look at the big picture once again. All of these things speak of the Lord Jesus Christ. The priest, the scapegoat, the blood offering, the fit man. And once those remnants are left, we are to take the remnants of those sacrifices and carry them without the camp. Now, let's continue to read in Hebrews chapter 13. In verse 15, how are we to carry this reproach? It sounds very ambiguous when we think about the word reproach. That's the word Scripture uses. But Paul details to us how we are to do this. Verse 15, By Him therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to His name. Paul gives us some details as to how we are to carry the reproach. By Him therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise. We are to be thankful and offer the sacrifice of praise to God with our lips continually. That is one way we may bear the reproach. Verse 16, But to do good and to communicate, forget not. For with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. Paul says, do good, and then if you have to, you can speak occasionally. 
That is to say, you may do good and then I would wish you to communicate why you do this good. Because I submit to you this morning that if you walk about doing good, if we walk about doing good, there will come a time where questions will be asked of us. Why do you do this? Why is it that you would act in this way? Why is it that you would not lie when it's convenient? Why is it when you, why you would not cheat when it might be convenient? You could gain something through doing wrong. But when we continue steadfast in the path that God has asked for us to walk in, questions will be asked. And Paul says, when you do good, and questions are asked, tell them why. Communicate. Forget not to tell them why. For with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves for they watch for your souls as they which must give account that they may do it with joy and not with grief for that is unprofitable for you. Pray for us for we trust we have a good conscience and all things willing to live honestly. Could it be any more down to earth this morning? Could there be anything more down to earth than when we are told do good? Talk to people. Pray to the Lord. Live honestly. Those are some of the most simple things that we could ever tell one another. Just live honestly. Just pray. Just do good. Just communicate to one another. Speak to one another. Love one another. But we are told with those simple sacrifices, God is well pleased. Thank you for your time.